Welcome to the Speak As Well As You Think podcast brought to you by Vautier Communications. I'm your host, Jenny Rurick. The goal of this show is to uncover communication strategies and behaviors you can use to improve the way you show up and perform at work. I'll sit down with communication experts and professionals across different fields to uncover what effective communication looks like in action so you can apply to your own career. If you'd like a written summary of each episode, subscribe to our weekly email newsletter by visiting vautiercommunications.com. That's V-A-U-T-I-E-R communications.com. Check out the show notes for a link. Today, I'm joined by John Vautier. John Vautier is a vice president at Vautier Communications, and he's been coaching for more than a decade. John, I'm glad to have you here with me. Jenny, thank you. I'm looking forward to this. John and I today are going to be talking about what a presentation is and the value in you broadening your understanding of what a presentation is and looking at alternative formats for how you can deliver information. Traditionally, presentations are thought of as slides, and we're now moving in a direction where people are appreciating alternative formats simply because some of them can be more engaging or maybe a better fit for the message. John, my first question to you is, how would you define a presentation? Yeah, Jenny, a presentation to me is simple. It is just a talk. It's a talk about a product, an idea, a piece of work, an assignment, something that you've been working on that you want to show to an audience or explain to an audience. But very simply put, it should be looked at as just a talk or a conversation. What do you think the benefits are of taking on that sort of definition? Because from the people that I've worked with, we most people have a very narrow definition of what a presentation is. And the definition you just gave is broad. I'm curious, what do you see as the benefits of somebody taking on that broader definition of a presentation? Sure. I think first and foremost, it allows for some flexibility with how you build the message. And as we think about presentations, a decade ago, I would have argued that most of the time you hear a definition of a presentation and you immediately think PowerPoint slides. Today, not everybody uses that dynamic. They don't always use that channel. And so having a more open approach allows you to not be so confined by saying, okay, I have to open up PowerPoint and build another slide deck. But having the approach of being open gives you the option to go a bunch of different directions with how exactly you want to share that message with an audience. A lot of it has to do with knowing who your audience is first and then trying to figure out what's my purpose in speaking. And that allows us from there to figure out which direction should I go with building this talk or building this message. Something we often talk about in our trainings is the importance of understanding who your audience is and to build on what you've said there, when you brought in your definition of what a presentation is, you also allow yourself more opportunities to deliver your message through a medium that might better resonate with your particular audience. Now, if we look at it at this broader level, there are now many different forms of presentation can come in. What are some of those forms? Yeah, I mean, the first and, and most obvious form would be the PowerPoint slides. And I have no issues with PowerPoint slides. I've coached hundreds of thousands of executives and others in that space. But I don't think it's just confined to PowerPoint slides. We've got whiteboarding, we've got flip charting, 
we've got building handouts that you could then share with an audience and then you talk behind and in some industries that looks and feels more like a pitch book in other industries you hear that phrasing can i get a, a pre-read or a leave behind can i get something i can look at in advance of our meeting or our conversation or something i can walk away with after that i can refer to or reference on my own time but I like that approach because it, it, again, goes back to that flexibility of knowing your audience, you want the message to stick. And different audiences may require different methods for how you share the, the, the message with them that allows it to be sticky. And that's what's memorable. And that's what people walk away with. Now, so we have slides, we have presentation slides, we have handouts, we have whiteboarding, maybe someone comes with prepared remarks and it's representative more of either talking points or a speech. Let's look at the pros and cons of each of these. And of course it is context dependent a bit, but let's generally talk about those. And I want to start with presentation slides. What do you see are some of the pros of using presentation slides? Sure. First is it's visual. And I like slides because it allows an audience to see something while they hear you talk about it or talk around it. Now, the, the differentiator there is you don't want to just read your slides verbatim. We hear in our industry a lot that phrase, death by PowerPoint. And I think that's where sometimes PowerPoint can get a bad name. If you build slides and you're using full sentences, you're using paragraph form, you're writing out every single word and you're almost scripting it. And then you show up to conversation, meeting, whatever we want to call it. And all you do is read it back. Your audience is likely going to think to themselves, why didn't John send this to me in an email? So you have to bring the message or bring the content to life. And you can do it in a number of different ways. You can use talking points, you can use visuals, graphics, pictures that you then speak behind. But the beauty of PowerPoint slides is it does guide the speaker. It's the speaker's visual notes, it's your audience's visual cues, if you will. But that guide keeps speakers on track. And I think that's why it's a well-used medium of delivery in terms of building out content. What I've seen is really two ends of the spectrum, or at least I hear people talking about two ends of the spectrum. One on one end of the spectrum are slides that are, as you're saying, over overwhelming with text. And then on the other side, there's an entire camp of people who say you should have no text and only visuals. What we teach more so is the middle. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's a blend approach. We don't want just text because there are learners out there, and this goes to the neurolinguistic side of how we learn ourselves. There are learners out there that just like to see visuals and they enjoy seeing visuals and that's how they learn and they listen to what the content is behind it. There are learners out there that like to see words, like to see text, like to see phrasing, but you can't have too much text with no pictures. I feel like it's inappropriate to have all pictures with no text. Having some blend approach allows you to really access both camps of, of learners, of audience members, of listeners, we can call them whatever we'd like, but it, it allows you access to tap into how they tend to absorb information and retain said information. One thing that I, I tell people is if there's something in your presentation that your audience will need to write down or refer back to that lends itself to being in text. And then there are simply some concepts or ideas that are best represented visually. And so I think it is you being open to not going one way or the other, but letting the information guide which you should choose, whether it should be represented in text or a visual or maybe both. 
Yep. And just having that blended approach throughout the content. I think a lot of people look at that and say, okay, well, I started my slides with text. I have to stay that direction the whole way. And I think that's a, a missed opportunity there. We can start slides with text. We can then shift to slides that might be more visual because the content is appropriate for that visual nature, but it's making sure we keep the delivery, whatever it might be, lean. And I think you, you mentioned that phrase overwhelmed. When speakers build, communicators build content that's too dense, that's what leaves an audience overwhelmed. And they see something that looks like they're reading a novel of sorts, and all of a sudden they begin to disengage. So I love this phrase, and I've used it very often with my coaching over the years. And the phrase is, as much as necessary, as little as possible. Because what we look at there is this concept of information overload. If we do what a lot of people tend to do, they default, it's data dumping. They take everything they know from upstairs in their minds and they just throw it into a PowerPoint slide without realizing, hey, I need to figure out who my audience is first before I build the message because that allows me to focus on need to know content and maybe not worry so much about the nice to know information that could feel like you're taking them into the weeds. Mm -hmm. Right. Because at that point, if you do overload your slides, you're no longer a presenter, you're more so a translator. Exactly. And people will say, John, I can read this myself. This could have been a time better spent if you would have sent this to me in an email. And at the end of the day, our job as speakers is to make people feel as though their time was well utilized. Mm -hmm. You want an audience to leave and say, hey, that was time well spent. And if you can check that box, I would say that's been a good, a good message delivery, a good conversation. Yeah. Something else I was thinking about regarding presentation slides was, and I'm not it might belong in both camps of being a pro and a con. It's that with presentation slides, you get to set your message in advance. Sure. You, you have it outlined. There are talking points in there. Depend, the depth depends on how, how many talking points you've included. What are your thoughts on that in regards of preparing your message in advance? How is that a pro and how is that a con? Yeah, it's a pro because preparing the message in advance allows you to get comfortable with the message. And my hope is that we always coach, make sure you practice. You have to make sure you practice the talk track, go through your content, say it out loud, even if it's to an empty room. But those repetitions are incredibly important, important on the front end so that you aren't going into said meeting, said talk, said discussion, whatever it might be, and just winging it. And I think when people don't prepare a message ahead of time, they feel as though, well, that felt like I just winged it. I flew off the seat of my pants. And I think that leaves a lot to be desired. That can be a con if you try to memorize. And there's a fine line between being prepared and then being scripted or saying, okay, I've got to sit down. I've got to memorize every single word from this slide. Memorization is so heavily built off of cadence. And I think that puts a lot of pressure on the speaker to say it exactly how he or she or they wrote it. And that's what we want to avoid is that rigidity to the message. You would rather be flexible. And that's where we encourage use keywords, use key phrases, Keep your slides lean because your audience doesn't know what you don't tell them. And that, that's a, a nice thing for the speaker to allow for some of that pressure or stress to be relieved to some extent so that a speaker isn't so nervous thinking, I've got to say this exactly like I, I memorized it in my home office or hours before the talk happened. I do. I read somewhere and I tend to agree with it. I'm curious what you think. There is one exception to when memorization works. And that might be for somebody that has really overwhelming 
anxiety about standing in front of a group and speaking. And in that case, memorization or having those points to talk from can act as a crutch or a relief. Now, we would obviously advocate that that person seek some coaching to Mm -hmm. overcome that because it is something that can be overcome, even if just a little bit. What are your thoughts on that? I tend to agree. My issue and my hesitancy with responding, I do like the approach of having some bumpers or parameters to keep you on track. Because I agree and I, I will acknowledge that if you are incredibly nervous and you have that wild anxiety before you get up in, in front of an audience to talk, having some ability to hone in on what you remember or recall is helpful. The reason I hesitate is it still goes back to if you get any little bump in the road, call it a hiccup, call it a question from an audience member, an interjection, an interruption, anything that happens, if you've memorized the content and that's your only crutch is realizing that, hey, I memorized this. Once that throws you off track, it can be incredibly challenging to get back on track. And that's where you see speakers completely fumble away, or they say, I was so overwhelmed that the front of the room got very small, very quickly. And I think that leaves a sour taste in in speakers' mouths, but it also can feel to an audience, Jenny, to me, when things are memorized, they don't sound as authentic. They don't sound as genuine. They don't sound as rich as they would if it was just a conversation like we're having now. Great points. All right. That's presentation slides. Now you, you mentioned this term blending and I'll let's move into talking about handouts next, because I do think they lend themselves seamlessly to be paired or blended with presentation slides. Talk a little bit about when we say handouts, what do we mean by handouts? Yeah. Handouts could be activities. Handouts could be hard copy reference sheets or resources where you might state key facts, key terminology, acronyms, maybe it's statistics. We work a lot with clients that have very technical information and it tends to be very analytical. With analytical information, statistics and facts, you wanna make sure you have those figures correct and accurate. Because if they're not correct and accurate, again, your audience is thinking, how prepared was John or was this individual who came in to speak with us? I like the kinesthetic approach to having handouts because some learners will like to jot notes on their own. And people you'll notice in meetings pull out pens, pencils, highlighters, and they're jotting things in the margins. They're doing things on their end that work for them. And those learners tend to say, I wanted notes so that I could jot some notes in the margin. If I didn't have hard copy handouts, I was a little bit less likely to do that. Or they say, I had to pull out my own blank white sheet of paper and just create the notes on my own. So I do like to have that that blending approach but I, I want to make sure we, we understand having notes and having handouts is a good thing. You don't want that to take away from your ability to keep the audience engaged. Because if you give an audience something to look at or interact with physically, they're likely going to do something with it. And now all of a sudden you're fighting their attention in, okay, you gave me this sheet of paper or this handout or this exercise. I want to look at it, but you're trying to advise that I don't because you want to be engaged with the speaker. Yeah. It- You're right. When we do have access to something, unless the speaker is extremely engaging, where we don't want to take our eyes or ears off of them, the moment we experience any sort of disengagement, we want to go to those physical handouts that we might have access to. Now, are you suggesting then that a presenter, if they have multiple handouts, how how are you suggesting they manage that? 
Sure. I'll use our approach. So we have handouts. If anyone has been through our program, they realize that we give hard copy packets. We do that intentionally. We keep the packets closed to open. So we keep the packets closed as we go through our content in the opening piece. And then as we get to activities, that's when we advise the participants, the audience, the group, if you go to your materials folder that's in front of you, please flip to blank sheet, whatever sheet that we're looking for them to look at. But this way, we're driving that engagement for them. And we're really giving them directions on here's when we want you to access the information that we provided to you. We're not telling them not to. And if I see someone in, my, in a program that I'm running and they're going through the content in their material folder, I'm okay with that. I'm not going to stop what I'm doing. I realize that's how certain people like to learn and they like to page through things and that's okay. But it's ideally the speaker's job to guide that audience on when and how they should use the handouts or the materials. Exactly. And I do think it's a good idea to frame that from the very beginning to let them know what they have so that they don't have to look through it to figure it out themselves. Let them know what's in front of them. Maybe cue them on when you're going to be accessing what so that you eliminate some of that initial curiosity that they have. Absolutely. And we like, I, I like to use the phrase setting the table. And this is something that happens in the first couple minutes of your talk. But as you open up, we always let the audience know ahead of time, here's what's in front of you. You've got a book, you've got a packet of materials, and usually that's it. Maybe they have a pen or pencil, maybe they've got a pad of paper in front of them. We usually say, we will go to that material packet. It's not, we're not going to do anything with it for about the first 20, 25 minutes. And most people I notice, as soon as I say that, they'll put that off to the side. They acknowledge, all right, great. I don't need this right now. I don't need to do anything with it right now. Let me push it off to the side and engagement goes back in the front of the room on the speaker and then his or her, their content that's up on the screen, if that's the medium you're using as well. Mm. What about now we've covered off on handouts in the middle of the presentation or during the presentation. There's also handouts that you, some audiences want either before or after the presentation if you are going to give handouts after the presentation, which typically comes in the form of you giving your slides, if you're using presentation slides, can you talk a little bit about the best way to manage giving someone your slides? Because if you've done an effective job with your slides, there's not going to be many full sentences or your audience might not be able to understand your slides as they were built for a presentation. What do you suggest to people when they're providing follow-up information? Yeah, it's partly knowing the culture of the audience. And usually we see this, and I bring up this culture idea because we've got in today's business world, pre-read or leave behind cultures. And those cultures tend to often ask for content ahead of the meeting or request information or request slides in, in the case of the leave behind after the meeting. I typically coach, if you know that's the culture that you operate within, build two versions. Version one of your content can be dense. Use full sentences, use paragraph form. As you're building version one, file and save as a version two. And that second version should be your delivery version. That should be very lean, using keywords, using key phrases, maybe incorporating more graphics, more visuals. But that's what you want to keep the audience more engaged and inter interactive. The last thing you want to do, Jenny, is me provide my content to you a week before our meeting you and I show up in the meeting together and I pull up my PowerPoint or whatever medium I'm using and I'm all talking to you the same thing that you've already read because I sent it to you a week before. And you're going to say, John, I already read this. What are we doing here? How are we using this time well? 
And so you do not want to show up with the exact same content you've already shared with that audience. This is the opportunity now to stay entirely high level, say what I provided to you last week was a much fuller, much denser version of what we're going to go through today. Today, I really want to touch on the talking points, the high level points, what I feel is most important to you. And you can do the same thing in that leave behind model. You can say, team, what we're going through today that I'm taking you through now in the session is very high level. You will have access to a more dense leave behind. If anybody wants to reference that, I will share it after our meeting. But I'd like to not share it beforehand because what tends to happen is we go back to the fact that if you give your audience something, they're probably going to start to page through it if you haven't set the table on the front end. When, if someone were to get asked to send it ahead of time, and ideally that would not be the situation, do you have any advice as to how somebody could respond to that? And I'll, I'll give you an idea of what I tend to coach people on is, let's say you and I were meeting and you asked me to send a pre-read and yet that wasn't a part of my process or I felt as though it would undermine our actual meeting. Something I could offer to you might be a written executive summary of the presentation, maybe via email. And I'll say, we're going to walk through that presentation next week. What I can offer you is an executive summary of the main points of what we're going to be discussing or what my findings, what do you suggest? Yeah, I like that approach. It's almost like a trailer to a movie. Rarely would you ask somebody if we're in the film industry, hey, I want to see the full cut of that movie. An audience or a producer might say, well, I, I can show you the trailer. I'd be happy to do that. But you've got to wait until the movie launches before we do the full, the full view. Most audiences will want to see a taste. That whole concept of that trailer is the teaser. You think about watching a trailer. If you're going to go and watch or invest time two plus hours into a movie, most people will say, yeah, I wanted to see the trailer first to make sure I was interested or intrigued. But that trailer is not 48 minutes long on a two-hour movie. That's, that's too dense. So the pre-read is just a taste or a teaser. And in your case, the executive summary is great. I've also coached, have some talking points, share an agenda. Here's what we will discuss in high level. And you're giving them more of a 10,000-foot view. If you've got questions, please let me know. I'll be happy to talk through those as we get into our meeting next week. But we'll go through a lot of this in more depth once you and I sit down and meet together. And that way, they've gotten something ahead of time. I really like that analogy of the movie. Yeah. All right. We've covered slides, handouts. Now I want to move on to whiteboarding, which isn't common, although most conference rooms have a whiteboard in them. And virtually, I know there are now tools professionals can use to whiteboard their message digitally on video presentations or conferences. What do you see as the pros of using a whiteboard? for your presentation? The pros are you allow your audience to be far more engaged and interacted with your message and your content. And I like whiteboarding as more of a guide. And these, these are gonna be talking points that you might bring up to your audience, but you say, Jenny, can you give your input or insight on this new project initiative? And Jenny gives some input or insight and I'm either in the moment whiteboarding that out or to your point earlier, you may have some virtual options Personally, Jenny, I don't have great penmanship. So I hesitate on jumping to the whiteboard or flip chart because I don't want people to leave that meeting and say, I sounded like John had some great ideas. I could not read his or her or their chicken scratch. Mm -hmm. And so that's something where I do think the speaker has to realize and, and look internally themselves and make sure, hey, I have the ability to visualize things. I've got effective enough penmanship that people can track. 
But it's nice to have the audience be able to fill in some of those blanks, connect the dots, fill in those gaps as you go through content, messaging, talking points, depending on the direction of the talk. Yeah, you're creating with them in real time. Correct. Which yep. will absolutely increase engagement. I also see whiteboarding as unique and unexpected. It's not something most people do. And if it is a skill you can develop and you're confident in doing so, and as to your point, you have legible penmanship and some visual skills, it it can really elevate you among others. And this might maybe especially for folks in sales. What about some of the cons of whiteboarding? If, if you either for what you've seen with some of your clients or just what you know about whiteboarding in general. Yeah. If you're not flexible with where the message or content might go, I feel like that could be a con because you may feel too rigid with some structure in your mind that an audience doesn't have access to. Because you're not using slides or visuals, you're just creating the whiteboarding or creating the content as you interact with the audience. If you feel like it needs to go in one direction and your audience is pulling you in a different direction for whatever reason, you've got to be flexible with going with them in that direction. And being okay changing or shifting or, or being mailable or flexible as we call it. But if you're not that type of speaker, communicator, learner, that can be a challenge for you. And, and that will possibly leave a, maybe a negative or less than ideal impression or experience on your audience. Mm. I, I think we touched on the fact that I, I'm not a huge fan of whiteboarding if you've got really poor penmanship. Because at that point, your, your lines are going off in different directions, they're fading off things may not visually look great, or all of a sudden you're trying to create these visuals and an audience is wondering, okay, I have no idea what he or she or they just wrote, and now I can't make sense of it. Mm. What do you notice about how people verbally deliver while whiteboarding? The big thing we coach, if you're going to verbally deliver while whiteboarding, when you are doing something actively on the whiteboard, writing, hold a pause. Because if you think about it, when you're facing a whiteboard or facing a flip chart, you're likely facing away from your audience. And now your back is turned to your audience and you're speaking in one direction and your audience is, the, is in the exact opposite direction. So it is important for the speaker to be okay and be very comfortable holding long pauses, holding silences. From our experience, we know how awkward that can feel for most audiences. We also coach people that there is power in that pause. And the pause when they're used effectively are incredibly beneficial for an audience because it gives them an opp opportunity to react or reflect on what you're writing or perhaps what you're saying. But you want to make sure that when you are writing, you're not doing any talking. And then as you turn to the audience, that's when you begin to speak and engage and interact with them again. Yeah, you're spot on. When we notice somebody is actively working on a whiteboard, we want to be reading and watching what they're doing. And if they're speaking at the same time, it creates this dynamic where we feel as though we have to choose and audiences don't like to have to choose. They'd rather have both. Correct. And as much as people say, oh, I'm a great multitasker, they're typically not. And if they're trying to read and comprehend something and listen at the same time, they're either spending too much time doing one and not enough on the other or vice versa. Before we got on today, John, I mentioned to you a research study that was done with Dr. Zachary Termala out of Stanford Graduate School of Business, in which they studied the impact that whiteboarding has on retention and other things in comparison to PowerPoints. And then another method they used, which was Zen, 
where you share a key phrase and an engaging metaphorical image, which isn't that common, but that's what they used in the study. They had over 700 participants in this study. And what they did is they broke, they broke those groups into three groups. And each of those groups received either a PowerPoint presentation, a whiteboarding session, or this Zen approach. And they all got the same message. It was just delivered through the medium that they were receiving. And what they found is that the whiteboard generated a 16% greater recall I'm sorry, greater increase in message content recall than any of those other forms. And then also it beat PowerPoint and that Zen method in terms of engagement, presentation quality, credibility, and it even enhanced persuasive impact by 8%. You and I talked about this and those are some compelling numbers, but we also were talking about how you have to be effective at whiteboarding in order to achieve that. If you don't have the skills that you mentioned, you're not going to achieve the effect that they may have found in that study. And we also were curious about what the presentation slides looked like that they were using. Now, as where I'm going with this is someone might want to explore whiteboarding because those numbers are compelling. And if you're in a, maybe a sales role, or you're having more conversational type of presentations, it could lend itself to that. You and I talked about a couple of criteria that might lead someone to choose whether or not whiteboarding would be the option for them. And the first of those criteria criteria was availability. Can you talk a little bit about availability? Yeah. Availability really comes down to, does the room that you're in, conference room setting, office setting, wherever it might be, does it have access to a whiteboard or a flip chart that's big enough for your audience to actually see and interact with? If the answer is no, then that's an easy default to say, hey, this is not the the right time, the right place to use that whiteboarding approach or technique. Great. So the first criteria is availability. Do you have a whiteboard? Is the whiteboard big enough? Yep. All right. The second one was how much time do you have to prepare? Correct. You want to make sure you have adequate time. Now, what does adequate time mean? It's different for everybody. I would usually encourage at least an hour plus before that interaction happens so that you can get some of your thoughts out in some framework yourself. Visually, you put some notes together, maybe on a blank piece of paper, or you do it electronically if that's your your go-to. But this gives you an opportunity to build out where you think you're going to be going with that whiteboarding scenario. You get 10 minutes and someone calls and says, Jenny, I need you in the conference room in 10 minutes. I want you to give an update on on what we talked about last week. Maybe not the best time to whiteboard something because in 10 minutes, that's going to feel very overwhelming to say, okay, where where do I want to go with this visual? Yeah, you want to have almost a sketch. Yep, exactly. And And you really need to know how to get to your end goal and be open to many different approaches to getting there. Correct. The third criteria that we have five, there's, we're on number three is group size. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Group size is big because if you've got 25 plus 30 plus 50 plus people in the room, think about it. Putting content on a whiteboard or a flip chart is going to be incredibly challenging for any of the individuals or audience members that might be in the back of the room. So we typically recommend six to eight individuals in your audience or less Could you go to 10? You could. You've got to make sure the room setup is appropriate so that, again, people have access to the content. But if they don't have access, that visually they can't see well what you're doing on the whiteboard or what you're doing on the flip chart, it's highly unlikely you're going to actually get them to interact or engage with it. And that's where memorability goes out the window. Yeah. 
All right. We did availability. How much time to prepare? We just discussed group size. Number four, the fourth criteria is visual skills. This goes back to your penmanship. Do you have the ability to write clearly? Do you have the ability to build out some visuals that actually make sense? Even if you're using stick figures to show things, I'm okay with that. Nobody is expecting a, a professional artist in the front of the room, but you have to tell yourself, okay, I've got some level of effectiveness in, in writing, drawing, spelling, all those things. Last thing you want to do is get up there and whiteboard and you're misspelling a bunch of words. An audience can't really read the text that you're throwing up there, or you're trying to create these visuals and you keep getting hands up that say, John, can you tell me what that one is? Cause I really don't see it yet. Can you tell me what the next visual is? Cause I can't get that either. And all of a sudden you're doing more work than you have to. Great. All right. And the fifth criteria for whether or not you should use a whiteboard is we said openness to fluidity. Yes. You have to be okay with moving in different directions. Remember, with that whiteboarding or flip charting approach, your audience is likely going to drive the dialogue. And that's the beauty of whiteboarding and, and flip charting. I think a lot of people like that because it allows for a lot more engagement. Part of the reason why people stay away from, with my experience at least, stay away from PowerPoint is because they feel like it's too much of just a one-way dialogue. Me, the speaker, talking at the audience. If we want to keep it interactive, we want to bring up engagement, we want to keep collaboration high, whiteboarding in, in flip charting can be a great thing because you ask your audience something and you say, team, share with me our thoughts on blank. You may not know what their response is yet, which is okay. But with that in mind, you have to be able to stay flexible because if they go right and you wanted to go left, it's tough for you to say, you know what, I'm, I don't really agree with what you just said there. I'm going to go left. And your audience thinks, well, why are we doing this whiteboarding or flip charting thing if you have one direction that you do not want to go off of? Yeah, that's, that's great. It's tough. And it, it can go in a positive direction, but on the other side of the coin, it could not go in a positive exactly. direction. And if you're not open to that, it, it might not bode well for you. Just yep. to repeat, the criteria that you might look at in order to make the decision as to whether or not you should whiteboard versus doing a typical... PowerPoint presentation or using handouts as number one, availability. Two, how much time do you have to prepare? The group size, your visual skills, and then your openness to fluidity. John, this has been a fantastic conversation. To wrap it all up, if I put you on the spot and I asked you for the most important takeaway coming out of our conversation, what would you say? Knowing your audience. I think it all comes back to knowing your audience. The better you know who you're speaking to, who your listeners are, what they're looking for, the easier it is for you to determine which direction, which channel, which method you'd like to use for that delivery, for that talk, for that conversation. Again, avoiding that phrase of presenting, because I think that gets a tough look in today's world when, when I hear clients of ours or prospective clients of ours say, geez, John, I really don't give that many presentations. I'm not sure this, this course, this coaching would be for me. My response is, well, how often are you interacting or talking with others? And it's usually met with a chuckle and people will say, well, I, I do it every day. I do it multiple times a day. Knowing your audience is going to give you, hopefully, a very clear view of which direction you may choose to go with that delivery model or that delivery dynamic. Love it. Great answer. John, thanks for being here today. Yeah, Jenny, it's been enjoyable. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Speak As Well As You Think podcast brought to you by Vautier Communications, and I am your host, Jenny Rierick. Vautier Communications is in the business of business communications. We coach and train both individuals and groups on how to elevate their presence and increase their impact 
through the way they communicate, present, and write. If you want to learn more about our in-person or virtual training options, visit our website, www.vautiercommunications.com. That's V-A-U-T-I-E-R communications.com. Thanks for listening.